coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday to you. I hope it's a happy Thursday for you. I say that because according to this Gallup survey, more than one in six adults suffer with depression. Uh, as rates rise to record levels here in the United States. And and this came to mind as I booked a guest that's going to be on the back half of the show. Uh, Lee Richardson is a licensed professional counselor, also founder of the Brain Performance Center. She authored the book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, The How, What, Why to Peak Performance. And we'll talk about how you can trigger your mind to divert itself from anxiety and depression? What are some of the causes of anxieties and depressive states that hit us? And, I mean, you don't have to go far, just staying on top of the news. <laughs> and that's what this show's all about, right? I mean, it can lead you sometimes to just being flat out bummed out. I get it. Anyway, Lee Richardson joins us on the bottom half of the show. First up, new polling. Y'all know I love polls. Anyway, a new landmark communication poll done uh, May 14th. 800 likely Republican presidential preference voters. The margin of error on this, 3.5%. 800 folks is not a whole lot. But it's a new poll, so let's go with it. So amongst the likely presidential primary contenders, Donald Trump has 40.1% of these likely Republican presidential preference voters. That being said, Ron DeSantis now only trails Donald Trump by less than 8 percentage points, 32.3% for him. After that, it's a who's who of who, except for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp, a distant third, with 7.1% of the 800 likely Republican voters. It doesn't get any better for him... When you, okay, so he does slightly better with men. And I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm just looking to see like where, if there's a, a, a seam where a Brian Kemp could conceivably, he's not, he's not going to run for president. We, we all know this. He's, he's probably going to run for John Ossoff Senate seat. Oh, I'd love to see John Ossoff running for president. <laughs> I think I've discussed that before. Anyway, this new poll uh, essentially shows that Donald Trump still has command of the Republican Georgia voter. With all that we know about Donald Trump, away from the Oval Office, his history while in the Oval Office, he still has 40% of the likely Republican presidential preference voters in this poll done just days ago. I'm trying to see if anybody else even really mentions is worth repeating. Uh, undecided, only 6.2%. So that doesn't change much. I mean, if the undecided went to Ron DeSantis, oh, we're talking about a race. We're talking about a 40.1 a to 38.4. I mean, then it's a race. But they're undecided. Uh, let's see. Chris Christie had 2%. Nikki Haley, 59 Mike Pence, 2.4%. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, 2%. Tim Scott, one8 Dude, Tim Scott, when you're at 1.8% trailing a Vivek Ramaswamy, hmm, what else? Uh, other questions. Uh, next, generally speaking, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of Donald Trump? Georgia Republican voters, 56% said favorable. Wow. 
35% unfavorable. And when you break it down by gender, not much of a difference. Uh, here's where his favorables actually hurt him. They hurt him with the younger voter, the 18 to 39 voter. His favorable and unfavorable actually pretty close. Uh, next question, generally speaking, favorable, unfavorable opinion of Brian Kemp. The favorables across the board are pretty favorable. Brian Kemp suffers a little bit with the younger GOP. These are all likely GOP voters, by the way. The younger likely GOP voter. And let's see the other one. Uh, generally speaking, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of Ron DeSantis? And generally speaking, and this is across all demographics, by the way, Ron DeSantis has favorables 70% or higher amongst men, women, the 18 to 39, 40 to 64, 65 or older, and overall at 74.5%. When you look at, and again, these are likely GOP voters. Amongst white voters, 75% favorable. 53% favorable amongst African American, and there were 16 folks among that. Uh, and let's see, 33 who were neither white nor black, uh, 67% favorable. So the favorables across the board look better for Ron DeSantis than they do Donald Trump, but Donald Trump leads the state for presidential primary preference amongst Georgia GOP likely voters. Now, while even I led with Donald Trump still ahead, I, I sort of think that the underlying statement here, okay, two things. Only 6% of these likely voters are undecided at this point, and Donald Trump doesn't have 50% or better. There's room for others to grow. I mean, it's not going to be Tim Scott or Mike Pence. Brian Kemp shows no interest in it. I don't even know he's on this poll. I guess they just threw him in there just to, just to see. Maybe uh, the folks at Landmark Communications was doing Brian a solid. Hey, do you mind saying just, just let's just see. You just hear him. Uh, I mean, but if the Christie and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott and even the undecideds all coalesce behind Ron DeSantis, well, Donald Trump's only getting, I say only, only getting 40.1% of likely Georgia GOP voters. Does that mean that the Trump fever is finally starting to break? Well, not as long as you've got these egomaniacs all running to take him down. Not that any of them are actually trying to take him on. But as long as you've got multiple candidates, this happened in 2016. Donald Trump wasn't getting 50% or better of any state's GOP primary voters until the very end when it was just he and one other candidate, essentially. Up until that point, he was getting all the delegates while winning 35, 40, 44, 45% of the primary voters in those individual states. Now back to Brian Kemp. He is term limited, meaning the governorship he just won is the last one he can serve. That means he can serve up in 2026. There are those that would like to see him run for president or vice president, and there seems to be a little bit of wiggle room in the Georgia Constitution to let him do that. He wouldn't have to resign to run. There is a resign to run clause if you're going to run for something else, like Congress or U.S. Senate. But he would not technically have to do that if we wanted to run for president or vice president. That being said, he's shown no interest in that. 
I'm telling you, it's it's the Senate seat in 2026 that I presume he's going to run for to try and defeat John Ossoff. And a lot of folks think, oh, that's easy. Republican, he'll win. Mm, Georgia's a pretty purplish state right now, and John Ossoff actually has a pretty strong record. And one that independents, I think, would be drawn to because he's done a lot on a bipartisan level. and He's gotten a lot done, especially for those in the military and veterans. He has He's won a lot of favor with that voting block. John Ossoff is probably a pretty strong candidate to try and take down in a Senate race. That's one to watch. I still wish he'd... Uh, yeah. The whole Biden thing has got me just flummoxed because... That's not the future. That's not the progression of the party. We're already dealing with a Diane Feinstein problem. And by the way, Bernie did a Facebook Live. Uh, uh, he did a, a press conference today calling on uh, President Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment, and stop fighting over the debt ceiling. By the way, we, we did that three times under Donald Trump, and there was no hand wringing about that. But, you know, it's never, it's never about the debt and deficit when they're in charge. Uh, anyway, Bernie looks spry, man. Bernie looks like Bernie looks like a man in his early seventies, and <laughs> he's a man in his mid eighties. Oh goodness! Uh, Bert Jones, by the way, making some noise. He was at a Morgan County Republican Party uh, gathering, and noted, by the way, that he is the only statewide official who's going to the Georgia GOP convention. Oh, by the way, Donald Trump is going to that. At least he says he is. Um, Bert and Donald are pretty tight. There's the whole question of whether or not Burt Jones, the fake elector. So anyway, um, it'll be interesting to see if Burt decides to run for the governor's seat in 2026, what other sort of GOP contenders there might be for that. On the left, we've sort of heard some similar noise from two-time candidate Stacey Abrams that she might run in 2026. Other names that are kind of being bandied about, by the way, uh, Representative Lucy McBath. Okay, okay, she's cool. I like her. Um, Jason Carter, who was the uh, Democratic Party nominee in 2014 and actually came closer to winning in 2014 than Stacey did this past cycle in 2022. Uh, there's Jen Jordan, uh, B. Gwen. Those are just some of the names being bandied about right now. It seems so early to be talking about governor's races, but again, Burt Jones is sort of posturing like he's looking at it. Is he more beatable than Donald, than Brian Kemp? Hmm. I think it depends on who's running against him. And again, in 2026, I think George is only going to be a more bluishy purple than it is now. May not be straight up purple, may not be bluishly leaning purple, but I think it'll be closer to straight up purple. Anyway, I think it depends who's running against him and just how toxic the vibe is after 2024, if and when Donald Trump is the nominee again, if and when he wins again, or how ugly these future indictments play out to be. I mean, there's just no convincing his base that the man ever did wrong. The evidence can be plain as day. Remember what he said? I can shoot a man in broad daylight. And I mean, if he ever said anything that was completely 100% honest, that is the one. But would that sort of stain affect a Burt Jones? Well, Donald Trump's poll numbers, remember? Favorable, unfavorable? They lag 
candidates that he's otherwise beating for presidential preference. But that's Donald Trump, and Burt Jones isn't Donald Trump. We've seen where being Trump-like for Ron DeSantis, we talked about this yesterday, doesn't necessarily play well unless you are Donald Trump, and Burt Jones isn't Donald Trump. But the stain of being associated with Donald Trump may carry some resonance with independent voters. The question is, does a third times the charm question mark Stacey Abrams candidacy that didn't do as well the second go around as it did the first carry some baggage as well? These are all questions worth asking, which we'll do in due time. I'm just putting the conversation out there right now because we've got polling and Burt Jones is kind of making noise like he's running for governor. All right. What are the Braves doing that's got me talking next segment? And it's not even all about baseball. Find out after the break on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday, and let me just go ahead and give you a foggy alert. I'm going to sound like an old geezer here. <laughs> we just found out today that the Atlanta Braves have named uh, Quickcrete as their first official jersey patch sponsor. And when they say they've named Quickcrete as their first official jersey patch sponsor, partner. It just means Quickcrete has bought the advertising space on their jersey. I mean, that's what that means. Uh, I'll read for you a little bit from the article at MLB.com. The Braves on Thursday announced Atlanta headquartered concrete and cementious products manufacturer. That's a word, cementious. Uh, anyway, Quickcrete, Quickcrete has the team's official jersey patch partner for the next five seasons. An expansion of the long-standing partnership between the Braves and Quickcrete, the Quickcrete logo, including the famous yellow bag, will be stitched on the Braves' jersey sleeve. It's so big and gaudy, y'all. Uh, marking the first time a partner has appeared on the Braves' uniform. The Quickcrete jersey patch will be debuted on field Friday, May 19th. Yay, something to look forward to. Uh, when the Braves take on the Seattle Mariners at Truist Park. Uh, let's see. Quote, quote, quote. In addition to becoming the official jersey patch partner of the Atlanta Braves, Quickcrete will continue its wide-ranging partnership with a significant brand presence at Truist Park on the Braves Radio Network. We're already getting that. Uh, and at Cool Today Park, the team's spring training facility at North Point, Florida. Long story short, the Braves got a nice, healthy paycheck, a nice, healthy, fat check from the folks at Quickcrete. And that's fine. I mean, I get it. These are the modern times. We have a lot of MLB teams who already have logos on their jerseys. I have gotten used, I guess, to seeing it on the Atlanta United jerseys. What is that? Oh, American Family Insurance. American Family Insurance. See, I remember the jingle. That being said, I had to go image search it to figure out who it was. I forgot. So maybe it's not that big a deal. I'm just a touch concerned that, and by the way, you can't go to a baseball game or watch one on TV with just out being inundated with advertising everywhere. And my fear is that it actually won't be long until the baseball jersey winds up being more like the soccer jersey uh, in Major League Soccer, where you'll have the Quick Crete logo on the chest and the Braves logo will be somewhere else, like a tiny little crest on the chest or on the sleeve and yeah i'm not gonna go buy that i'm not gonna go buy that at all no I, I i get it i sound like a fogey i don't like this see in an era where franchises already get taxpayer dollars to pay for their stadia and then charge us obscene amounts just to park near the gate to the stadium 
Never mind the concession prices. I know, Arthur Blank, thank you. They're cheap at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's the one. And then the TV deals that send us scurrying to and fro between the providers to even ensure we can watch them. By the way, the Braves are on Apple TV Plus Friday night, so you may not even see the Quick Crete logo on their sleeve because you don't have Apple TV Plus. I do. Anyway, can I just get a little break from the sales pitchiness on the field as well? I mean, aside from the... And have you noticed they're doing this? They're, they're, they're putting corporate logos on the back of the pitcher's mound. Sometimes that's actually physically there, and sometimes that's just superimposed on television. Yeah, now the back of the pitcher's mound has a chalk logo on it sometimes. And then sometimes you'll see on foul territory, there'll be some corporate logos. It was a hospital last year, wasn't it? Or a Ford dealership? See, that's the thing. It doesn't even stick. It doesn't even stick. And of course, you've got all the things on the walls and the the ribbon boards. And <laughs> last year, the umpires in Major League Baseball had an FTX patch on their on their uniform. FTX, remember what happened to them? Oops. And don't even get me started on the radio broadcast. I'll be listening to the Braves, and I'll get all excited because the announcer will start talking about a call up this this new player that the the Braves have called up, and it's Louisiana damned hot sauce. See, I remember that one. <laughs> All right, credit where it's due. Sometimes the marketing sticks. Sometimes it actually does. I don't know. I just feel like we're all overwhelmed with advertising. And you know what's ironic? I'm on my softball league board, and it's my job <laughs> to go out and get the sponsorships. I mean, we're a nonprofit, so they're donations, but they're still sort of, yeah, that's my job. And I'm trying like crazy to honor the integrity of the game by... <laughs> Uh, making sure that we're just not proliferating our fields with advertising everywhere. So we kind of keep them in the nice little entry plaza as you come in. In fact, you, you, you'll see my face on a, on a billboard because I am a realtor with EXP Realty. And hopefully most of the softball players that play in our league are aware of that by now. So there's some irony there. Still, I, I know when too much is too much. And sometimes it's just too much. Okay, so fine. They're going to put a quick Crete logo on the right sleeve of the jersey. But think about all the years in the past when the Braves have celebrated something, whether it would be a World Series or their 25th year in Atlanta. Remember that jersey patch? Or 50th year. God, if I've been around this. Their 50th year in Atlanta. Remember that jersey patch? Where do, where do these patches go now? Where do the commemorative patches go? First year in Turner Field, first year in Truist. Where do those patches go now? Or do we just not have them anymore? Oh, wait, you've got another sleeve. Okay, I got you. Another sleeve. You see how this starts to look a lot like the the NASCAR driver's jumpsuit with all the logos all over? We used to joke about that, and now it's oozing into Major League Baseball. And it won't take much longer before... You don't see the Falcons logo as prominently on the helmet because there's got to be a Chick-fil-A logo on there too, which is ironic because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays and the Falcons usually play on it. Nonetheless, okay, that's just a bad example. And don't try to sell me quick Crete logoed Braves jersey in the Braves clubhouse store. Not interested. Now, if it's Braves quick Crete free jersey night, oh, sign me up. First 40,000. Yes, I will be there. Free. They'll have to do that because I can't give away 40,000 bags of quickcrete, right? That would be impossible. You're going to carry that into the stadium? Anyway, I digress. I told you it was going to sound like a fogey segment. It certainly was. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, americawinradio.com. 
Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. On a rainy day like this, maybe this isn't the day to discuss this, but maybe it is. Uh, According to a new Gallup survey, more than one in six adults suffer with depression as rates rise to record levels here in America. The percentage of U.S. adults who report having been diagnosed with depression at some point in their lifetime has reached 29%, nearly 10 percentage points higher than in 2015. The percentage of Americans who currently have or are being treated for depression has also increased to 17.8%, up about 7 percentage points over the same period. Both rates are the highest recorded by Gallup since it began measuring depression using the current form of data collection in 2015. The most recent results obtained February 21st through 28th of this year are based on a survey done of 5,167 U.S. adults. Over one-third of women now report having been diagnosed with depression at some point in their life, compared with 20%, slightly above 20% actually, of men. And their rate has risen at nearly twice the rate of men since 2017. Those aged 18 to 29 are at 34.3%. 30 to 44 at 34.9% have significantly greater depression diagnoses rates in their lifetime than those older than 44. The survey also finds that the rate of depression amongst black and Hispanic adults is rising at about twice the rate of white adults. So the question is, what's causing this spike in depression and what can be done about it? For some perspective on this topic and more, we're here with Lee Richardson. She is founder of the Brain Performance Center in Dallas, a licensed professional counselor, and also wrote the book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, The How, What, Why to Peak Performance. Lee, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you have some personal experience, not just overcoming feelings, but like you actually between you and your child had some brain injury to overcome as well. And, and that could be a completely different, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A completely different uh, uh, situation to deal with. But tell me about the similarities. The similarities between a brain injury and something like depression or anxiety? Well, I, I guess uh, it, it, the, the obstacles that you have to overcome for both. Okay. Well, and you do. You're right. Having a brain injury is a whole different world because it affects you. You're more aware mm-hmm. of, of what you're missing. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, I used to could pick that up and I used to could read that in 10 minutes. And now mm-hmm. I'm having to read it two or three times before I get it. That mm. was, and that's a personal statement for me. Right. And so you're more aware of, of what's changed. And usually when you find that you can't do things th- the way that you used to, that causes some anxiety or some depression mm-hmm. because it, and you're, you, you kind of go through the grieving process. Ugh. You know, you never really realized how much do you like something but until it's taken away. And then when it's taken away, I want it back, you know? So I guess the question is, when it comes to a traumatic brain injury, what is the likelihood that you get it back? Or is, in some cases, that just not going to be possible? Obviously, I know that there are going to be some traumatic brain injuries where it just isn't possible. But on the whole, is there rehabilitative well, you're, efforts? You're right. But I have to tell you, I 
was worked with a gentleman that was in a car wreck, lost his other two family members, was in the hospital for a year. My goodness. When they kicked him out, he went to outpatient for six months. Then he came and he did neurofeedback here. And now he did more than the average person, but he's in school. He wants to become an occupational therapist. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there, that story is on my YouTube channel. So if anybody, you'll, you'll have to dig around and find it because it was a while ago. But, uh-huh. but amazing. When I met him, he couldn't drive himself. Mm. He would Uber in mm. and he couldn't work. And he just, by getting his brain in the right regulated state, and he had the desire, mm. he, want, he wanted to do something with his life. Yeah. And he wanted to do something to help others after what he'd been through. See, I have a grandfather uh, who passed when I was 19, and I saw him from like age six on when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's just slide fast. And you could still see that he was aware enough to be depressed, to be upset about it, but at the same time, just becoming sort of trapped in, in the body without the benefit of the mind that he once had as well. So I guess I'm sort of conscious of what it must be like to go through a traumatic brain injury to worry about being in that sort of self prison as well. Well, and you make such a great point and that is the body keeps score of everything that's going on in the brain. Mm. And once, once you get people with anxiety tend to have a little nausea or chest, you know, tension or Mm. muscle Mm. tension, People with depression tend to be very fatigued. Mm. It's the you will experience in your body what you have going on in your head. And that's it's almost like a double edged knife. It, it's very hard. You make a lot of sense. Uh, and again, I, I don't like to go anecdotal all the time, but I, I went through a divorce recently and bouts of being depressed and the anxiety of the finances, this, that, and the other. You're right. Lethard, uh, lethargy sets in. Uh, aches and pains come to be that you weren't previously aware of. It's it's just fascinating to hear how how the body and the brain are sort of taking on uh, extra baggage for each other from time to time. Well, the brain controls everything, but mm-hmm. the autonomic nervous system controls the body. And when the autonomic nervous system gets out of balance and it doesn't take much, mm. you you roll around, you ride the roller coaster, fight, flight, or freeze. So I wanted to ask you a question. And again, this is a, a show that's you know usually based on uh, political perspective. We're seeing the rates of increase in anxiety and depression in this country. And I just have to wonder how much of this is steeped in the political climate that we now live in, this hyper-partisan, nobody-wants-to-get-anything-done sort of environment where uh, the very slim majority of this country want things a certain way but can't seem to get things to go a certain direction. How much of that is steeped in in that reality for Americans? Well, that reality brings fear and uncertainty. Mm. And fear and uncertainty put that autonomic nervous system out of balance mm. and that that where you know fight flight or freeze mm. so i believe the amount of uncertainty that we lived with in today's world i was looking at a study from 2016 yesterday mm. and i was like wow i mean it used to be such a nice world 
in 2016. And in 2023, it's stressful. <laughs> We've just went through a pandemic, a yeah. global pandemic. Right. It's a stressful world. What happened to, I mean, I could sit here and summarize what happened in 2016 to 2023, so I guess I'll just leave that to those who want to uh, opine on that. We're with Lee Richardson, the licensed professional counselor and founder of the Brain Performance Center. Uh, so also touching on political and socio uh, socioeconomic plight and whatnot, we, we noticed that you know black and Hispanic adults have higher rates of depression. Is a lot of that steeped in, again, socioeconomic situations, or is there something more uh, in the DNA? Well, I think it. I think it's influenced by everything you've mentioned. But I will say this: in those cultures, it, they've been very, very reluctant to accept mental health as a real problem. Mm-hmm. And and now they're they're reaching out. So their numbers have gone from zero to uh. to what they are. And I think I think a lot of that is just the acceptance mm-hmm. and having the courage, because in a culture where it's not looked at with grace you know we're we're reluctant to do it mm-hmm. you bring up a point about reluctance and it made me think about my father my father uh and i don't have much of a relationship anymore uh my mother passed about 12 years ago she was 58 a little too early in life if you ask me to uh, die from cancer and my dad never really got the sort of therapy that obviously he needed and he sort of withdrew from family functions and the everyday rigor of staying in touch with loved ones and this that and the other uh and 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 i'm not going to sit here and absolve myself but i mean i've made every effort you know i live two hours away if i'm in town he's sick under the weather doesn't want to see anybody um did the holiday stuff as much as we could but he just never wanted to get involved uh, but it it makes me think when when you speak of reluctance, there's also a reluctance amongst men. Period, is there not? Oh, absolutely. And you know, statistics show more women port, report depression, more mm. women report anxiety. And this is a true fact, Ron. On the average, a person will have a mental health issue for ten years, a decade. Mm before they'll reach out and they'll get help because there's been so much stigma around it. Mm-hmm. You know, mental health, I'm not mentally retarded. Right. I mean, what people don't get is the brain is an organ, just like the heart is. Mm. And if something goes wrong with your heart, you're going to go see a cardiologist very quickly. Mm. You wake up and you know, your son's in town and you just don't feel like you can put it together You don't feel like you can, you know, and you'll have a little nasty talk with yourself. Power up, man. Get up, get up. Yeah. But you just can't do it and you don't do anything about it. And, you know, 10 years, that's a decade. And that's honestly, Ron, I've just completed all the coursework for my PhD Mm -hmm. and I'm writing my dissertation. Congratulations. And like, thank you. And my goal is to create social change around brain health. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay when you don't do anything about it. You, you mentioned this, and again, I, I again, it's a political show, so I steer back to politics often, but there, there just seems to be this clash that's happening between folks who are labeled as being woke and those who want to not have anything to do with the idea of wokeness, you know, awareness of the, the plight that others who aren't like them might be going through and, and, and consideration of feelings and empathy and this, that, and the other. 
do, do you do you see this as well? Do you see this push and pull, this tug of war between, and it seems like it's a mostly white male, not very in touch with their own sort of feelings kind of battle going on? Well, I do see that, and but I call it something different. I call it lack of self-awareness. Oh, yeah, me too. That's funny. That's no, I say that all the time. Oh, my gosh. I say that all the time. The lack of self-awareness among some people is stunning, is it not? It is. And and it it, it impacts their ability to have empathy. Mm. It impacts their ability to connect. It's... It's, developing your self-awareness is certainly something that everybody, if you don't feel like you have any and you're listening to us, you need to work on. Mm. I can help you with that. So you mentioned that we carry for a decade or more uh, issues that we don't address from a mental health perspective. Is there any correlation between this and the the spike in violence in this country? I mean, I know we're a gun culture. Obviously, that's something that is a completely different topic altogether. But we see all of these scenarios where, where you know, someone snaps and next thing you know, they're they're at a mall with an AR-15 and, and shooting people up for God knows what. And, you know, that's, that's something that still, every time I hear it, I feel it in my heart mm. and I'll feel it in my breath mm. because I honestly believe, and, you know, there's two, there's two points of view on that. Mm-hmm. It's either it's a mental health problem or it's it's a gun problem. And the But why can't it be both? Problem, well, it is. Yeah. I have a problem with the mental health reason because most of the people, and I've done some research, okay. most of the people that have been mass shooters haven't been diagnosed with mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I think it's because nobody cared enough about them to take them and get them diagnosed. Right. So I'm not saying that there's not a mental health, but it's all, that's the why yeah. the how is the guns. How do they do it? It's the guns. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to focus on having some type. I still don't understand why an 18 year old needs to buy a weapon that our police officers and our military don't have access to. Sure. And that's again, a, a topic for another day altogether. Oh. And I, I, yeah, trust me, I could go off on that all day long. I guess when, when, when you add it all up, the, the, the hesitance, the reticence to seek mental health uh, therapy or assistance, however you want to terminize, uh, term it, uh, along with this push to uh, resist what, again, what a lot of folks call wokeness, or I, as I call it, empathy, consideration of others, and, and then the, the affinity for living in a country where you're free to go into a Gander Mountain and purchase uh, an Armalite, an AR-15 to, uh, I don't know, shoot your feelings out uh, on a tree stump out, out in the woods. It, it's a toxic combination. It is. All right. So you, you mentioned that, you know, you have a YouTube channel and uh, we, we mentioned your book title earlier. How can folks uh, learn more about what you do and how they can maybe benefit from, from knowing more about Lee Richardson? They can go to the website, the, the brainperformancecenter.com. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot of videos that, you know, people will tell me it's easier just to watch a video than, than to read a lot of, of information. So oh, that's sure. there. We have LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. We have Facebook and Instagram and anybody that really has a, a an urgent need for an answer to a question. The first thing we do at the brain performance center is we do 30 minute consultations mm-hmm. and anybody that has an urgent need with a, just call the office 
800-998-9017 and book a complimentary consultation. Lee, give me just a minute. We're going to take a quick break and I want to talk more about your book. You can tell me what all is in there and what we can uh, benefit from having it. All right, stand by. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. It's a rainy Thursday, and I mentioned that at the start of the last segment, and we're on with Lee Richardson, who is, uh, first of all, she's a wealth of knowledge. She's also the founder and director of the Brain Performance Center in Dallas, a licensed professional counselor and author of the book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, The How, What, Why to Peak Performance. Lee, I got to ask you, um, what weather does play a factor in how people feel from day to day sometimes, right? Well, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, Ron, that consultation that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. that's when I first opened my practice in 2009, and I would be talking with people and I'd say, wow, I think I hear some depression. Oh, no, 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 no. And they would look at the floor. Or I think I hear some anxiety. Oh, no, nope. And those <laughs> shoulders come up to their ears. And that's why I wrote the book. Okay. It's just to give people a general understanding of how your mental health determines your physical health as mm-hmm. well. So Lee, can I just tell you the reason I, well, I won't say the reason I launched this show, but uh, a great benefit of me launching this show last October is after my divorce, being a full-time real estate agent, I didn't have, um, I didn't have the, the construction of uh, stability in my day to day. And this show airs Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. on American One Radio, and it gives me something that I have to do every Monday through Friday. No matter what week of the year it is, no matter how busy my real estate is, Some, you know, sometimes you don't have a lot going on in real estate, and sometimes you have too much going on. I have too much going on right now. But uh, I didn't have the structure of the Monday through Friday that I'd gotten used to after working in radio broadcasting for 28 years and then schooling and all that stuff. So we're on the air uh, participating in something that benefited me uh, from, from a brain function standpoint. In fact, I even like waking up on Saturdays knowing I don't have to do this show. Like it's a legit weekend for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is there, is there some of that? Does some of that make sense to what, to what, uh, to what you refer to in your book? Oh, absolutely. Because structure, you know, I talk about in the book, what sleep means to the brain and how environmental factors, Mm -hmm. the weather impacts your brain, you know, in the winter, you can get sad living alone. A lot of, you know, I talk about living alone doesn't mean living lonely. Mm. You've got to stay connected with others. Um, So we all need structure and social, we need community, right? We need a sense of community. And when you go through a divorce, that sense of community has changed. You have no idea how legitimate what you're saying is to what I've experienced in the last 16, 18 months of my life, finding out I was going to be divorced. And like I said, I don't have much, you know, family left to uh, adhere to. And so like my in-laws had become my family and I'm still very close to them, but I don't see them on holidays or as much as we regularly did before. And uh, you know, I started playing softball in an adult league here, two adult leagues actually. And so I'm on that board for one of them even. And that sort of community and some close friends that I had made in the short time I'd been in Atlanta before divorce have really benefited me in ways that I cannot enumerate. Oh, absolutely. You have to feel it's so easy when you go through a, a major traumatic change. And that's that's emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. 
And when you go through that, it's so easy to disconnect mm. because you have to work to have something to connect to. That's right. And again, I'm real estate agent, so I didn't necessarily always have something to get up out of bed to do if I didn't have something I needed to hop out of bed to do, you know? Well, and it sounds like, I mean, I have to compliment you. It sounds like you've done a great job of self-care. I literally realized because I didn't have the drive to get up and find the work. If I didn't have the work, I knew something wasn't right with me mentally because that's always like, I was the 60 hour work week radio station manager guy. Like, you know, work, putting in a full work week was not something that I was, uh, you know, avoiding. And I got to where I just couldn't, I didn't find myself interested in doing anything. And so again, this show sort of sprung from that. It, it, it cured a, a broadcast and political itch for me. Uh, and I started talking to a, a therapist and, and did so for about, about 14 solid months. And good for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, it just had to be done. I just knew something wasn't right. Well, good for you. But because- even then, even then, listen, uh, again, my mother passed 12 years ago and my relationship with my family has dissolved. My, my father has dissolved basically. So it's not like I was exactly on time with it. Well, better late than never. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I get that. All right, so what else What else can we glean from this book? It's Again, it's on Amazon. By the way, turn your brain on to get your game on, the how, what, why, to peak performance. And it's, you know, it really just, it's very light reading. It's oh, okay. not anything deep and heavy, mm-hmm. but it but it's written in a way that you can read it. Mm-hmm. And what thing, it makes you think about things. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully, what you know, when you start to have memory loss, what is it? And how does it affect your communication and what can you do about it? Because, you know, the brain's not fully developed until the mid to late 20s. The 30s are rocking, man. But the (laughs) 40s start to plateau. Yeah. Yeah. In the 50s, maybe you have a little cognitive impairment. The 60s, maybe it's a little cognitive decline. So being aware of how important sleep is to the brain, Mm -hmm. um, that's a great place to start. Well, and just realizing that you have to start taking notes. You've got to keep things on a calendar. You just, you need the help. So it's there. Use it. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Lee Richardson, licensed professional counselor, founder of the Brain Performance Center, and soon to be a doctor, soon to be, soon to have that PhD, <laughs> and also author of the book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, The How, What, Why to Peak Performance. Again, that's available on Amazon. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I really feel like this has been a rewarding conversation, and if it, if it you know, propels someone to, to work on their, their mental self-wellness, uh, then all the better, right? Absolutely. And thank you for being so open and transparent. Yes, ma'am. I will uh, share all your links in our show notes today at ronshowatl.com and on all the uh, podcast platforms as well. Lee, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. That'll do it for today's Ron Show. And back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and on all your major podcast platforms. See you then.